This is the Negotiate X podcast, show number three. Now, I remember learning about this model at West Point, and I remember how simple and how applicable it was basically to any of the negotiations that we encountered. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really key. How do you create something that can handle the complexity of a variety of issues and a variety of different industries and contexts, and yet at the same time be simple enough to actually put into practice? And I think that's the brilliance of this framework is it's uh, it's the ability to be used by practitioners. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. My name is Nolan Martin. I'm the co-host of the NegotiateX podcast. And with me today is my good friend and colleague, co-host, Aram Denisian. Aram, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great, Nolan. Thanks. And I uh, hope everyone out there is doing well today, too. We're in the D.C. area. We just had snow last week, but it's basically all melted away. I know you're in New Hampshire. Do you also have snow? Oh, do yeah, do we? Yeah, we, we have it. We've been, we've been playing in it, and we've got more coming this week, so... <laughs> uh, the, the benefits of living up in North Country. Yep. All right. So today I'm extremely excited because we're going to talk about the framework for how we think about a negotiation. And the framework is extremely important. It drives how we prepare for a negotiation, choices for conduct during a negotiation, how we measure success in a negotiation, and even how we review our negotiation. Yeah, that's right, Nolan. Uh, and let me add that we didn't create this framework. A lot of what we're going to talk about comes out of uh, Getting to Yes, which I can still consider to be the seminal work on negotiation uh, as it hits 40 years old this year. And then refined by our colleagues at Vantage Partner, who we partner with, and we're so grateful to be able to use some of their intellectual property. But they've refined it over the last 25 years. And you can find more of this in some works such as Getting Ready to Negotiate, by Roger Fisher and Danny Ertel, and the HBR Guide to Negotiating by Jeff Weiss. And for all of our listeners, this is you know a lot of great resources that Aaron just threw out there. If you are interested in reading any of these books and, and didn't get a chance to write that down, it's okay. Go to negotiatex.com slash three. In the show notes there, we'll post all the resources that we discuss today. Now, I remember learning about this model at West Point, and I remember how simple and how applicable it was basically to any of the negotiations that we encountered. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really key. How do you create something that can handle the complexity of a variety of issues and a variety of different industries and contexts, and yet at the same time be simple enough to actually put into practice? And I think that's the brilliance of this framework is it's uh, it's the ability to be used by practitioners. Yeah. So I like that it's only seven things, right? So whenever we look at a lot of frameworks and and especially complex ones. It tends to be astronomical the amount of different things that they throw in there. Yeah. In the mil in the military, we have the span of control, and we basically try and keep it between three and five. So, although seven is just outside of that, I still think it's a lot more reasonable for people to grasp and people to actually use. Yeah, trust me, I've seen twenty element or component models and forty component models. They look real pretty on paper, uh, but they're a beast to try to actually put into practice. And so that's one of the reasons I'm such a believer in in the framework that we use. 
Yeah, so our predecessors named the framework the seven elements of negotiation. So why don't we discuss that, basically what they are, what they're useful to understanding the process of negotiations. Yeah, so let's start with uh, what they are, and then maybe as we kind of give folks some takeaways for today, we'll talk about why why they're important and how they can be used. So the seven elements of, of negotiation are relationship, communication, interests, options, legitimacy, alternatives, and commitment. Yeah, so relationship pr- seems pretty obvious, so I think we should start there. It's either you have one or you don't. So what else goes into that framework? So at the macro level, I like to think of a relationship as considering the, the levels of respect, rapport, and trust between the parties involved and being able to measure the levels of those things that we need to be able to work more effectively together. So we can certainly acknowledge there are times when the relationship is transactional because not going to see this person again, not going to interact. And additionally, there are many times when we need a long-term relationship, maybe because there's going to be repeated interactions or negotiations with the same party, or maybe simply because to implement the agreement, we're going to need a strong relationship. Yeah. And I would assume the reputation we are constantly building is by how we are actually negotiating with this partner, or even the industry is a consideration as well. I think it's important to kind of understand how is how are other people, even outside of this negotiation, going to view how we basically conducted it? Because word's going to get out that, you know, you're either play by the rules or you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Reputation is a critical component of, of relationship. And I think it's important to remember that relationships are built through how we interact and, and treat the other party, how we share and discuss information. So how we behave. And our advice would be, to consider the nature of the relationship now, think about what it is we want it to be or need it to be going forward, and then purposely act and purposely practice strategies that are going to build the relationship we want going into the future. All right, Aaron, let's move on to communication. I know this isn't just speaking the same language and it involves information and, and how you're basically describing what you are negotiating about, position you take on, on a specific negotiation. So what other sorts of things do you put under communication? Yeah. So communication is really what information we're sharing, how we're going to share it. And it's, uh, you know, are we, are we hiding it? Are we revealing it over time? If so, when it's those sort of decisions, it's also how we, we gather the information. So the, the process of good, genuine inquiry and asking, you know, penetrating questions to really dig in and understand how the other party sees it. What are their perceptions and what are their perspectives? And then to being able to practice really good acknowledgement, showing the other party that I understand where you are, that you've been heard, and that those things can happen without agreement. Acknowledgement is understanding without agreement. And then certainly being able to clearly and articulately share our own perspective and advocate for for what we believe needs to happen. Yeah, I remember you sharing that communications involves process decisions. So what sort of things do you include there? 
Yeah, so really relationship and communication combined are what we call the gateway elements or the process elements. They set the conditions for an effective negotiation. And so, uh, you know, negotiations are going to benefit from good, clear direction. And under communication, I would include things such as being real clear on what our purpose is for getting together today. What is our agenda? And being able to align early on the agenda, commit early to the process we're going to follow. Are there any ground rules that we should establish to help us? And then being able to say, hey, are there other folks we need to have in the room now or have in the room over time? What's our desired end state? What's the product we're trying to come out of here? And so on. And all those things are going to fall underneath communication and be incredibly helpful moving forward. All right. So we just wrapped up communications and relationships. Now we got five more to go. I understand that interests are the reasons people negotiate. So how are they any different from the demands people make or positions they take in a negotiation? Yeah. So as we get into interests, um, I mean, you, you kind of, you set it up great. We're going to talk about the value creation elements, interests leading into options, leading into legitimacy. And a key aspect of what came out of getting to yes was this distinction between a person's position, the things they say they want, and their interests the underlying needs, fears, concerns, and motivations that are actually driving those positions. Positions are singular. And what that means is there's really only one way to resolve them. Interests, however, can be solved in many different ways. Positions are almost always opposed between the parties involved. The positions are going to almost be always opposed, and they're going to require both sides to give something. Interests, however, may be opposed, but more often what we find is interests are shared or different. Positions are typically tangible. They, they, they are on the surface. They're things we can see. Interests involve tangible needs, certainly, and they include emotional and psychological needs of the negotiators. So by understanding both our and the other party's interests, we can open the aperture, so to speak, on what we might be able to do together or need to do together to satisfy those concerns. A simple example of positions versus interests might be, you know, buying a car. The position is a specific car for that price of, say, $19,500 or so. You either get that car at that price or you don't. And so the interest might be what reliability and warranty, total cost of ownership, good gas mileage, safety, and so on. Yeah, that's right. So as you uncover both, like in that case, the buyer and seller's interest, uh, you're able to work together to find creative solutions to satisfy both sets of concerns. And these are what we call options, the things we might do with our counterparts to resolve the situation. Yeah. So I remember when I had to study for this in school and I remember that O for options means on the table. Um, and I know that's different from alternatives, which we'll get here in a minute, but basically both parties have to agree to these solutions, right? Yeah, that's right. So let me share a quick story as an illustration. This, this comes up in getting to yes, but imagine for a moment, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I am a father, uh, so we don't even have to imagine, but, and as we've talked about before, you know, I have six great kids, but imagine I walk into our kitchen one day and my two oldest girls are fighting over the last remaining orange that we, that we have in the kitchen. And uh, they're jumping at each other. I want the orange. No, I want the old uh, orange. The older one's a little taller. So she's holding it up over her head. And what do I do? Not wanting to 
continue this, uh, this loud noise confrontation. In the wisdom of Solomon, I grab the orange, I slice it in half, and I give them both half. And I think for a moment that I have been victorious. Unfortunately, right, I have just facilitated a negotiation around positions. I want that. No, I want that. And my solution was a positional solution. You each get half. If I take a moment and I watch my daughters, what I will learn is that my oldest really wanted a whole orange because she was hungry. She was having a blood sugar drop and she really needed the sugar from an entire orange. So as she carefully pieces, peels her orange and then throws away the peel and eats the fruit, she walks away disappointed because her interest didn't get fully met. And as, if I, as I watch my other daughter, she carefully pieces, peels the orange and throws away the fruit. And then she takes the rind or the skin of the fruit, the orange, she grates it and she makes some orange chocolate brownies that she had promised her teacher she would bring in. But she's disappointed because she had promised to bring in a whole plate of brownies. And now she can only bring a half a plate and she's going to have to break her promise. There's going to be disappointed students in class and so forth. So again, her interests aren't met. And this is the idea of understanding the underlying interests to really solve the problem. And then if we get creative, right, we can certainly get creative and say, well, obviously you would give one daughter the entire fruit, the other daughter the entire peel. That's one option. And if we were to say, what other options are there? Well, maybe the girls could squeeze some orange juice, sell it to their other siblings, make enough money to go buy um, a whole bag of oranges. And now they both have a lot more fruit and a lot more peel to make a lot more brownies and a lot more juice. They might be able to auction off the, the orange working together. It's the idea that by understanding the underlying problem, we can actually get creative and come up with a solution where neither side has to compromise and both sides walk away with their interests met. So if options tell you all the things you could do to satisfy interests, how do two parties know what they should do? Yeah, so that's a great question. So once we have brainstormed, an emphasis on brainstorming there, the number of things we can do together to satisfy our interests, the way, all the ways we can resolve a problem, you know, and as you said, O for on the table, both parties have to agree to these things. So options are on the table. Well, then we need a way to be able to evaluate them on some sort of objective criteria. And these are what we call standard of legitimacy. And they include things such as precedent, law, market practice, industry benchmarks, and so on. So we should imagine that both parties are going to have to defend their solution to their toughest critic, a colleague, a constituent, uh, who's going to ask them, well, why did you agree to that? Why did that make sense? So a le legitimacy is what's going to arm us with the ability to do that, to be able to say, this is why this option or the series of options were a better choice. You mentioned precedent there. So what do we do if there isn't a precedent? You know, you and I have been in different situations where we essentially are establishing the standard because it's the first time of us doing it. So, so what do you do if there's no precedent? Yeah, we, we, we sure have. And, and I know that, you know, we can probably think about some mistakes we've made working in those situations where there wasn't a good precedent. And we certainly have seen our colleagues do that. So in those situations, it takes tremendous wisdom and consideration of the standard you and your partner want to set for the future. It's not only going to impact how the two of you operate and negotiate going forward, 
but it's also going to impact future negotiations you both have with other counterparts. Yeah, so now we are basically on the last two steps of the seven elements of negotiation, alternatives and commitment. Yeah, these are what we call the decision elements, right? So if I were doing a quick review, we, we had the gateway elements, we had the value creation elements, and now we have the decision elements. And I've intentionally left these two to the very end. And the reason for that is that when most people think of what a negotiation is, it's really these two elements they're thinking of. They try to either get someone to make a commitment, asking them what they will or won't do, and then they leverage threats or tell them or think about what their walk away is if they can't get the agreement. So I like to think of the dynamic between these two elements, alternatives and commitment, just a little bit differently. Yeah. So how's that? Okay. First of all, that, um, that we don't negotiate to reach an agreement, but rather to create a good choice for ourselves between our alternatives and making a commitment with the party we're at the table with. And, and to make sense of that, let's, let's dig into what these two elements are. Alternatives are A, away from the table. A for away from the table, away from the table, alternatives, right? These are all the things I can do to satisfy my interests that don't involve the person I'm negotiating with. That's different than O, options on the table that require the participation and agreement of the party I'm negotiating with. And I re realize that these are synonyms in everyday language, we're, we're distinguishing between the two. So alternatives are all the ways I can get my interests met, doing something internally, maybe doing something with another counterpart, not doing anything at all. These are all, all alternatives that, that the person I'm negotiating with doesn't get a say in. Commitments are when we select an option or pieces of an option to move forward that satisfy our interests really well, that are fair and defendable, that we feel are things that we can actually put into practice. And then the commitment is, how will we implement this based on what time, what is the follow-up and so forth? And so when we negotiate, we're negotiating for the choice between our best alternative to a negotiated agreement, what we call our BATNA, and the commitment we can make with the person we're at the table with. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what we always talk about, and that's elevating your influence through purposeful negotiation. You know, anyone can negotiate an outcome, but is it a good choice in the agreement? I mean, it's a pretty powerful difference. Just arriving at a solution and arriving at a good solution are two very distinct ways to get there. I've seen many young officers make the mistake of agreeing to something that they probably should have walked away from because it doesn't satisfy their interests. It isn't very creative or it's not defendable. Yeah, I have, I have too. Uh, and certainly in the corporate arena as well, someone will commit to something that actually creates headaches for the person that has to implement it because it's based on, you know, whatever, an unreasonable profit margin, you know, uh, you know, a crazy quality level or a timeline that's not reasonable, whatever it might be. And let me just add here too, that when we think about commitment, it's, it's helpful to also consider both for ourselves and for the person we're negotiating with, what's the level of commitment appropriate for this meeting 
is it a tentative draft? Is it a handshake agreement? Is it a list of questions for going back to senior leadership to clarify what we can do? Or is it a firm signed deal, right? But to really think about what's the level of a commitment we want to reach today? And what's our level of authority as, as well as theirs to, to be able to actually follow through on that commitment? And, and so, you know, this kind of drives some of the things we talked about under communication, but, you know, at, at what point do we need to bring other people in? At what point do we need to consider escalation? When are those things appropriate? I know that these are a lot of definitions, especially for the listener who may be driving to work right now. What we have is the Negotiate X prep tool. And so what it does is it breaks down the seven elements into basically how you can conceptualize the negotiation that you're going into. It helps you basically think of alternatives, think of interests, realize what decision-making power you may have or even the person you're negotiating with may have, basically breaks down everything. Is the most influential tool that I know of, at least in negotiations. So you can find that tool if you go to negotiatex.com slash prep or if you go to negotiatex.com slash three to find the resources. So with that, Aaron, this is a podcast that is all about delivering value to your organization, your business, and your life. So what are some key takeaways for our listeners today to become more effective negotiators? Yeah, thanks, Nolan. And I and this, this kind of gets to why is understanding this framework so important. Most negotiators use one or two levers and they tend to use the same uh, elements in negotiation, one or two elements of negotiation. And if we can recognize the elements that we typically use and where we get stuck, well, maybe we can find ways to intentionally bring in the other elements into our next negotiation. And I think it's helpful. You even heard me slip up just a moment ago and call the seven elements the seven levers. I like to think of them as levers of power. And as I utilize more elements in my negotiation, I can become a more powerful negotiator. Let me also say that as we use these elements, we want to remember to use these elements in a way that they're congruent with each other. They're congruent with the situation that we're negotiating and they're congruent with who we are as negotiators and as people. Awesome, Aaron. Well, I appreciate your time today on show number three. To our listeners, head over to Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this podcast. Give us five stars, get, leave us a comment, and this is going to help other negotiators find the channel, find the show, and essentially you know, deliver value to their organization. So that is it on today's podcast. If you need one-on-one -on -one help, we can help you out. If you need negotiations consulting or training for your team, we can help you out. All you have to do is go to negotiatex.com slash services, and there you'll be able to see all the different service offerings that we have to essentially help you and help your team achieve results. So if you have any questions or you want us to cover a specific topic in the future, just shoot us an email at team at negotiatex.com and we'll try to cover it in the future episodes. And with that, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.